Morgan Cole, and this is Shelf Esteem, the podcast where I talk to interesting people about books that they find interesting. This month I have uh, one familiar guest who has been on the podcast many times before and two new ones. Once again, I'm doing an episode with my daughter, Emma Cole, but for this episode, she invited along uh, two of her friends. So I'm talking to three young people, three recent university students, and we're talking about a book that they had all decided to read along with some of their friends as a sort of book club selection. And uh, Emma asked me if I would like to read it too and maybe... uh, host part of their discussion here on the podcast. The book is Terry Pratchett's Monstrous Regiment. And as I'll talk about a little bit in the episode, it's uh, been, despite many years of recommendations, a bit of a struggle for me to get into reading Pratchett. So this was really an interesting way uh, to get into his work and to to get into this novel in particular. So I'm going to let the guests introduce themselves. Uh, Emma, other Emma and Miles uh, will be joining me in this conversation. I will say, because we were in kind of a hurry recording it and we didn't um, have as much time as I would have liked to get optimum microphone placement, the sound quality is a little more uneven in this episode than I generally like it to be. We've done the best in trying to make it sound uh, as good as possible, but sometimes you can kind of get a little bit of drop in sound as as one person's a little farther away from the mic. But the conversation was so interesting uh, that I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you. I know a lot of you are Pratchett fans, so you probably will have thoughts about our thoughts on this novel. So I hope you enjoy what we have to say about Terry Pratchett's Monstrous Regiment. So I am here with three guests this time. Well, one of them is not so much a guest as my frequent co-host, uh, Emma Cole. Hello, and hello. Uh, she's going to tell you about who else is with us and what we're doing. So, uh, yes, we have other Emma, Emma Pappas, and my friend Miles, um, who are here to talk about Monstrous Regiment, um, yeah. the book. Monstrous Regiment, the, the book. book. The novel. Uh, by Terry Pratchett. I'm going to ask Emma Pappas and Miles uh, to briefly introduce yourselves, tell us, I guess, who you are and where you're from, so that people will know what everybody's voice sounds like okay hi i'm emma pavis i'm from toronto and i'm a long-term pratchett fan Mm -hmm. okay uh i'm miles um i'm from nova scotia and i'm a newly fleshed uh terry pratchett (laughs) yeah and that's probably a good place to start is with what our experience of pratchett is i will say for me being more than twice as old as everybody else here i have spent at least 30 years, maybe more, with people telling me, oh, you have to read Terry Pratchett. And these are usually people who like all the same books I do. And they're like, oh, well, if you love this, like we all like Douglas Adams when we were young, whatever, then you definitely should read Terry Pratchett. So for years, I put it off because every time you ask a Pratchett fan, what book should I start with? Instead of giving you a simple, this is the book to start with, they give you this whole spiel about what you could start it's like here. like a flow chart, literally. There's, there's a literal flow chart, yeah. yeah. So, um, so I never knew where to start. And then a few years Years ago, a student loaned me is Hogfather? Is that the title of one? Yes, yeah. Hogfather. And she's like, no, you're going to love this. And I didn't, but I think maybe it just wasn't the right one for me. And then I was, someone else was like, just, just read The Color of Magic. It's technically the first book. And I did. And again, it was okay, but I wasn't totally grabbed by it. And then Emma told me that her friends had this whole book club plan mm-hmm. uh, in which you were going to start by reading Pratchett. So maybe tell me how you guys got into picking this yeah. one. Yeah. Um, I think we were just looking for something uh, that we could do virtually together, like on a semi-regular basis. A lot of us really do enjoy reading and Emma's a huge Discworld and Terry Pratchett fan. Um, So yeah, the discussion of doing a book club came up. Emma quickly suggested Discworld and I think a couple other people in our friend group were uh, fans as well. And we did look at that flowchart of like what Terry Pratchett or what Discworld book should you read? Um, And I think we all got Monstrous Regiment as our like uh, our uh, answer. Um, So we decided to go ahead and read that. So 
Emma Pappas, you said you are a, a long-term Pratchett fan. So tell us a little bit about kind of where, where you're at with, with Pratchett. Okay. So I've read all of the Discworld books, most of his other published works, except for the ones he co-wrote with Stephen Baxter. And yeah, I really love him. I really love his style. I really love how he blends humor and also heart. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He creates this really beautiful yeah i hadn't mm-hmm. read Ta- pratchett before this but it reminded me like you said a lot of douglas adams absolutely in high school it's a, a very very similar sort of witty yeah kind of yeah my feeling when it whenever the color of magic was and of course they were more m- very much of the same generation and out of the same sort of milieu that that terry pratchett was kind of doing with the fantasy genre what douglas adams was doing with uh with sci-fi in, in the hitchhiker's guide so it mm-hmm. felt familiar to me his yeah. type of humor felt familiar to me and i should also add that after these guys talked about doing a book club uh emma suggested to me emma cole mm-hmm. suggested to me uh, on one of the last times we co-hosted the podcast that we should do an episode with all of you guys uh talking about mm-hmm. monstrous regiment so yeah. this is a podcast where we talk about books yeah, <laughs> it seemed fitting uh so yeah i guess a good start is just um what everybody thought about it. Mm. And yeah, I guess we'll start with the people who are our first timers and hadn't hadn't read yeah. it before or hadn't read any Pratchett before. Mm-hmm. So well let's go with Miles. What did you think? I thought it was uh, I thought it was really good. I think one of the things that stuck out for me was how it's like sometimes there's books that have that try to stick so much humor in it to make it stand out, but I feel like the monstrous regiment had so much humor in it but it wasn't overwhelming and like you said it balanced out with like humor and heart and Mm -hmm. i think um just the way it was written like every other sentence had a short little quip in it Mm -hmm. but then the next page it's like okay this is an extremely serious moment despite everything else that's going on and none of it really felt out of place it felt like a very natural and livable world yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so, too. Emma Cole, what do you think? Yeah, I also really enjoyed it. I thought it was very funny, like, even not just, like, funny characters or funny dialogue, but in just the way Project describes things is a very humorous way of going about things, just the way the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the Discworld uh, world is is naturally very humorous and funny, and there's a, a lot to find fun about it. Um, I thought the book itself, in terms of my reading experience, I definitely enjoyed it more when I gave myself like longer periods of time to sit down and read it in bigger chunks. Mm-hmm. I felt like the periods where I was trying to like pick it up and put it down, it really... Um, it. I found myself not understanding those bits as much. Mm-hmm. So like, I think it is a book you need to dedicate some time to because it is really jam packed with like, in terms of the humor. And of course you have layers of like different identities of people oh. and you have this like political landscape going on. Like it is kind of a thinker in terms of organizing what the world and the characters look yeah. like and are doing like in your mind's eye. Like mm-hmm. that's, it's a bit of a, uh, a bit of a brain workout in that respect, but I did really thoroughly enjoy reading it. I think uh, I was, I was, before reading this, I was coming fresh off of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Okay. Read like a slug marathon. It took <laughs> so long. Yeah. And then as soon as I was done, it was like a bat out of hell. It was, it read so quick. Uh-huh. Um, it, it took me maybe like under a week to finish it. But I, I think I was just so excited for something that was so much more vibrant. Yeah. It is, it's an extremely colorful world. It's, it's a lot more colorful than Brad Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. I'll give it that. Yeah. Uh, and I had the experience of listening to it as an audiobook just because that was what I could most easily get hold of quickly. Uh, and it, th- there's a great audiobook version read by Catherine Parkinson, uh, who does all the voices and has some fantastic voices in it. And uh, it was really, really enjoyable as a listen to it. And I don't usually 
listen to novels as audiobooks. I listened to a lot of nonfiction audiobooks, but I was like, I don't think I have the right level of concentration for a novel on audiobook. And there were a couple of times when I like got distracted and had to skip back a little bit. Yeah. But generally, it was a great listen. Um, I think it's nice to do a, a little plot summary when we're talking about a book. And I'm going to ask Emma Pappas to do that since you, you're the one who reread it. So <laughs> oh, you probably good. know it best. I will also say we always warn about spoilers. I don't feel like this is a book where like it's not like a mystery where, you yeah. know, we'll give away the ending. But I will say it's inevitable that some spoilers for some plot points are going to come up in this. Yeah. So, you know, if you haven't read the book and you absolutely hate any kind of spoiler, this may not be the episode to listen to until after you've read it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we can talk pretty freely about what happens in the book. So Terry Pratchett spends a lot of time, like a, a few books, talking about war. And this one has sort of a unique perspective because it's all all of the characters, well, almost all the characters are young people. And we later find out young women who are pretending to be boys for one reason or another. Some serve to serve their country, some to like chase a boy. Others just want the freedom that mm -hmm. life as a boy affords them because even though it's a fantasy series, the gender roles are still very- Yeah, it's, a, it's a super patriarchal society, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's about this country who is constantly at war with its neighbors and has gotten to a point where all of their young men are dead or severely crippled. So there's no one else to fight and they're on the verge of losing this war, but no one knows because the government is basically pampering the countryside with like, we're winning, sign up, <laughs> like fight for your country. It's just sort of a journey of self-discovery for like these young women, like, are they doing this? to achieve like a goal or are they doing this to like help find themselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it starts with a young girl named Polly, who's our viewpoint character, mm -hmm. who does the classic, you know, cut off your hair, disguise yourself as a boy, join the army. And then the slow reveal over many chapters that actually everyone in the troop, pretty much every girl, boy in the troop is yeah. actually a They're girl. All no, They're, girls. All boys are They're girls. all girls. Yeah. yeah. Except for that one Corporal Strappy, who's yes. just a dick. Yeah, yeah. Strappy. Oh, okay. So he was okay. He, he was, was a, he was a dick. Yeah, no. Lieutenant Blouse is not a girl, right? Lieutenant no, Blouse is oh, yes, the Lieutenant only Blouse actual man yeah. in, in yeah. the whole. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, every 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 character almost uh, is revealed yeah. to be a different and gender. It really got me when they started doing the reveal of like all the um, the new soldiers being girls. Then you start to look at like the sergeants and the corporals, as mm -hmm. well. and I was like, "Is Jack Room a woman as well?" Yes. But then they did like a different reveal with when they are talking to like sort of the higher level captains and stuff. That all of these like people that are telling them as women you can't be in the military are themselves women who joined the military <laughs> and have disguised men and have been posing as men. And then I think that and I was like, I guess Jack Room was a guy then. But then no, there was, there was, <laughs> there was another big reveal. Also, Jack yeah, Rimm yes, yeah. yeah. I guess that's probably the biggest spoiler is yeah. that all the men, almost all the male characters characters are actually women, yeah. uh, which I think, you know, he just, Pratchett just does such interesting things with playing around with the whole idea of gender yeah. in, in this novel. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to get into and talk about that a bit. I do want to know, did anybody see this coming? Did you suspect before it was revealed that all of these characters were actually girls? Absolutely not. Every time it happened, I thought, okay, so there's, there's a, so there's two in the regiment that are women. Okay. No, there's, there's three. three. Wait, okay. The <laughs> troll is also a woman. All right. <laughs> yeah, troll, good. Yeah. And then like right towards the end, they sneak in the vampire is also a woman. And at that point it's like, okay. Of like, course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also going from Igor to Igorina. What about when you read it the first time? Did you suspect when or? Yeah, when did you read it the first when time? I first, okay. So I basically read all 42 Discworld books over the time span of a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that I was a good year. Like, yeah, yeah, back to back to back. That's to like back. one a week. Essentially. <laughs> yeah, oh, really? Basically, I went, I tried to go 
chronologically, mm-hmm. but I was getting most of them from the library, so I skipped here and there. And this was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Again, because it comes towards the end and it's like a more fleshed out world. Terry Pratchett had really like established his style of writing. He sort of worked out the early kinks. Mm-hmm. There are less contradictions. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I think I thought maybe half of them were women. Because it's not like this is sort of other people have done this before. Other women in history have done this before. But I don't know. I don't I definitely wasn't expecting everyone to be yeah. a woman. Yeah. That but was definitely a surprise. Do you guys I mean you're all very educated young people. I should say these are all Emma's friends from university, <laughs> oh, so yeah. you know, they're well, smart yeah. they're smart young people. Who did anybody recognize the quote the quote that the title comes from? Monstrous Regiment. I know the cover is a copy, is like a play on the painting, uh something Iwo Jima. Uh raising a flag over Iwo Jima, I think. It's the photo of the Allied soldiers putting the American flag down on Japanese soil during oh, World War sorry. II, I think. And actually, that's actually really interesting of itself, in and of itself. I didn't have the copy with that cover, but mm-hmm. you know that picture, the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima, is, is staged, right? Because yeah. they did it, and then they had to do it again yeah. for yeah. the new... And and that's such a theme in this book, too, is... Yeah, the, um, the role of the press. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, because it's in this, you know, sort of very, not quite medieval fantasy world, but almost there's like a, a very nascent sort of press and photography and that sort of thing. And how that's represented is really interesting. Not just war, but how nations represented to their people. Mm-hmm. Um, the title comes from a, I want to say it's John Knox, but it's one of the Scottish reformers who wrote something scathing about, I think it's Mary Queen of Scots and Queen Elizabeth of England and talks about countries being ruled by this monstrous regiment of women. Uh-huh. And there is there's a, a novel by Laurie King who writes these um, uh, Sherlock Holmes spinoffs that's actually called A Monstrous Regiment of Women. So yeah. as soon as I saw the title Monstrous Regiment, I was like, and it starts with a girl disguising herself as a boy. Yeah. At first I thought, because there's like a troll and there's a vampire, it's like, oh, it's literally a monstrous, a monstrous yeah. regiment because they yeah. have monsters in it. And then I thought, or is it a monstrous regiment of women? So I wasn't totally shocked, but that was because the title was kind of uh, mm-hmm. kind of tipping me off. But I think that's a good question to 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 explore is, you know, the trope of girl disguises herself as a boy, runs away from home to do something that only boys are allowed to do, is very, very well worn in historical fiction and fantasy and basically Mm -hmm. any writing that's set in a very patriarchal world. Uh, But what do you think, you know, he takes it so much farther in this book. What do you think this novel was saying about gender and gender roles? I think when you talk about gender in the novel, especially like from the perspective of these characters in this regiment, it's so heavily tied to the depictions of organized religion Mm. um, and the idea of these extremely arbitrary rules like isn't don't they say like um at at a certain point all these laws from nugan have come down that like women basically can't do anything like they're not allowed to talk or like show their hair or like you know there's like and it's gotten ridiculous to the point that like basically women themselves have become outlawed Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of the like the gender discrimination at least from practice point of view is like pinned on those religious leanings yeah and then just the tradition of upholding those Uh, yeah just tradition for the sake of tradition yeah essentially Mm -hmm. like the the whole point is that all of it is 
arbitrary. Like it's not derived from anything with any meaning or value or reason. It is just rules for the sake of rules. And I think that works for talking about organized religion and also talking about patriarchy and gender roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, the, the, they worship the people in this country worship a God called Nuggin yeah. who, who uh, keeps supposedly sending down abominations and something yeah. new, like the color blue is now an abomination. And yeah. it's, it, it's a real satire on, on religion and religious traditions. Yeah. And yeah. it also, I think, talks about how in both it, when you're talking about misogyny and when you're talking about religion, even those who like follow it and adhere to it are, there's always exceptions when it benefits them. Yes. Like how, the women who have risen the ranks in the army now say that women can't be in the military even they themselves even though they themselves are women in the military mm-hmm. and you have like people who follow nuggins laws very religiously but then there are some that they say oh but nobody really follows that yes law. you know yeah. like he abominated babies <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah or it's like you know everyone's supposed to wear this kind of head covering or dress on fridays but nobody really does that yeah you know? and that's like, actually not a religious teaching just that's just tradition that's just tradition. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. things like that where it's like these are hard and fast rules except for when we don't care right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which i think is largely the way a lot of people practice religion exactly. in real life yeah, as well yeah. Yeah. and also how a lot of people practice misogyny if we want to think of misogyny as something you practice oh absolutely yeah. i mean you know women getting into positions of power and then closing the door behind them to other women is definitely uh, that's a well-established tradition both mm-hmm, in yeah. politics and business now what do you guys think about gender in this novel i was very disappointed in the women who came before them because mm-hmm. they basically thought they were the exception to the rule, almost to a T. And the few who noticed helped the other woman, but only if they were better than the men. Yes. So they had to surpass them to even be considered equal to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even though they couldn't receive any accolades or credits as women. Women, yeah. They were still men. Yeah, like at the end of the novel, they could be women helpers, but they couldn't be like military heroes. Yeah. I think that's what frustrated me near the end. I sat and thought about it where this uh this country that they were in seemed like the government was like at this point extremely reliant on the military for anything that was the and only if, thing that worked and if these and if this ring of women were the top of the top like still pretending to be women even though pretending to be men or pretending <laughs> pretending to be men um that they they couldn't just decide okay well let's like we are at the top let's change the rules instead of needing to like adhere yeah. to the things that we are that we were told like because maybe yeah. you can't change the system from the inside yeah <laughs> it also looks like they didn't even try yeah yeah no. yeah uh yeah no i thought that was i mean all good satire is writing about your own world. Yeah. And I mean, when you think of the fact that there are like, you know, not to pick on the U.S., but that there are Republican women in the U.S. who say that women shouldn't have the vote, yeah. even or, though they themselves are in elected yeah. office. Or like gay Republicans who support the Republican Party, which doesn't support gays. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, that's picking on American politics. But we see the same sort of thing here of people, you know, whether women or people from minor- minority groups who are willing to use power structures to benefit them without actually ever wanting to change those power structures to benefit anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't really see other countries in the way that they thought of this particular one, but just the general census of everybody else around them looking at the way they're doing things and being like, okay, 
Why? Yeah. yeah. This doesn't make sense. We're all over here doing this thing, and you're stuck doing this thing that clearly does not work. Yeah. But it's just because it's theirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have effectively isolated themselves from the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing I thought was interesting about gender um, is is how much it delves into the idea of gender being a performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Polly is is quietly slipped by someone. We find out by the end of the book who it is. Uh, a pair of socks uh, anonymously in the toilets and told to put these socks down your pants. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and she often uses socks as kind of a metaphor, not just yeah. for a penis but for manliness. Yeah. Uh, like, oh well, that was the socks talking, or mm-hmm. all you need is a swagger and a pair of socks, and you mm-hmm. can come in with so much more confidence. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? The the idea of of gender as a performance in this novel. I think it's really interesting and cool how yeah like you mentioned all of the women that were pretending to be men had like different angles about it like Mm. there were some people who like were just putting on basically a costume to get what they wanted there were some people who wanted the life that like men had like Mm -hmm. there was there was yeah it it kind of showed how dressing like something doesn't make you that thing you know Mm -hmm. like i don't know by the end if I don't think Polly feels more like a man or if she just feels like she likes the freedom of it. Mm-hmm. And then there are some people like, I don't know if it's Lofty or someone else who clearly act way more masculine than mm-hmm. other people. Like, um, Tonks. Tonker. Yeah. Yeah. Tonks, yeah, that yeah. One. Tonks. Yes. Yeah. Cause Lofty um, and Tonker also big shock to, uh, to Polly when she finds out they're both girls and they're a couple. Yes. She didn't know that was an option. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it's just very cool how the idea of gender as a performance and, Gender's a performance, but also not just a performance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's there's something to... If you dress as a man, it doesn't automatically make you a man. Mm. That kind of yeah. a thing. And how everyone ha- yeah. approached it differently, I guess. Yeah, and it also it cut both ways. Yeah. Like, this is a spoiler. When it comes to them sneaking into the castle as washerwoman, yeah. the only one who's not immediately... Like, suspected. suspected is Sergeant Blouse, the actual man. Yes, yeah. Yeah. and he's just doing like this caricature of a woman. It's because he loves amateur theatricals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's actually better at passing himself off as a woman than any of the actual women. Yeah, yeah, because the idea of a woman is, I guess, such a caricature. Yes, yeah. yeah. It was cool that to me it seemed like it was going from like the hard and fast uh, male and female to like the broad strokes of like masculine and feminine yeah there was a lot of gender fluidity by the end of it i feel especially when you get to like them knowing each other's real names and Mm. there's a lot of like how do you refer to people what pronouns do you use and it definitely was like got like muddier and muddier as time goes on it's like i've known you as a man but maybe you don't think of yourself as a man Mm -hmm. but it's yeah it it got very very murky towards the end all that Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, there is at least that possibility that maybe there's a little more uh, fluidity or even openness around gender roles, because at the end, again, spoiler, um, like Shufti basically goes back into a very feminine role. She yeah. has yeah. her baby. She her, cooks just, at the end. It was yeah. just a costume she was putting on. Yeah. To- to achieve, to, to achieve a goal whereas yeah, yeah. for other people like Tonka yeah. it was more like this is kind of the life I want to live yeah you and know, Polly a way to do that. Polly kind of chooses that life at the yeah. end because she does dress as a soldier again yeah. and and go back you but know. she doesn't she have like she's wearing like a skirt but with pants underneath it as well, yeah yeah like she, she's she's kind of trying to to be a woman in what's still for her society a traditionally male role but she's mm-hmm. enjoyed the freedom of, of that, that men are afforded in her mm-hmm. society mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts about gender, or do we want to move on to other things? Well, I'd like to bring up Shifty again. Yes. She, yes, she went into the war to find 
her boy. Yeah. Father, sorry. The boy who got her pregnant. Right? Yep. Yeah. But there's still character growth for her. Like yeah. she does end up going back to like a more traditional feminine role, but she also learns that she doesn't need a man to yeah, fulfill her. Yeah, she kind of at the end gets that last word in with that Johnny guy or whoever. <laughs> yeah. That her up. Yeah. And she doesn't doesn't need the like full like nuclear family family husband sort of thing to complete her her journey. She just kind of needs resolution on her own terms. Yeah, yeah. and like a safe place to stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think all the characters, yeah, they get some interesting character growth and some interesting development. I love mm-hmm. uh, uh, Lofty and Tonker, right? Who are the yeah, girls yeah. from the from the workhouse? Yes. Uh, who I the who I think eventually go back and burn it down, yes, <laughs> which is do. which is which lovely. They say very early on, as soon as we're done this, we're going to burn down that. <laughs> yeah, 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 because like. Well, like every other building they yeah. left throughout the book was like, and then we see in the background a huge column of smoke. <laughs> yes, yeah. 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 Like, oh, there we go. Three of the characters come from, they call it a working girl school. And they go on about, a lot about how pain and suffering changes someone mm-hmm. and how it's changed these three girls in three different ways. Mm-hmm. Like I think they said Tonker, it made her harder and angry. It made Lofty sort of like unpredictable. Not even like she was sort of spacey mm-hmm. and also very attracted to flame. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it sort of broke Wazer and reformed her into a new being yeah. that was then taken over <laughs> by another being. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is very mystical and, and a very yeah. weird sort of ending for Wazer, but maybe not a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I really liked how with Wazer specifically, at the end, I think it's Jackram says Wazu's the one they're going to remember out of all this. Even yes. though Wazu's like a fairly minor character. Yeah. It's like, this might be your perspective on this story, but Wazu was the one who like got possessed by the Duchess and whatever. She's the yeah. one that we're going to be hearing about yeah. after this. She's and you and I are going to like fade into the background. Yeah, she's basically Joan of Arc. Right? Yeah, 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 she yeah. had a Joan of Arc moment. Yeah. I guess another kind of big theme in the novel, obviously, as we said at the beginning, it's about war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very much, I think, a satire on on war and nationalism and all the reasons why people go mm-hmm. to war and that kind of thing. So some thoughts about, yeah, what, what, what people thought about what the novel has to say about war. Yeah, I think it nails into that fact that, like, a lot of it is just propaganda mm-hmm. about, you know, what you tell your own country, what you tell your own soldiers, and how that differs from reality and how the world is actually seeing your country mm-hmm. like it's very heavy on on those themes of misinformation that is used to garner support for like a dying cause or maybe an unjust cause or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and how basically we separate each other into us versus them mm-hmm. but we are all just the same so like when you get on that battlefield and you're standing opposite your enemy and you're both like who comes down to who kills who because you have to do it. Yeah. Someone's got to strike first, even though neither of them really wants to fight. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I think what I also really liked was when they were talking about, like, why the war is happening. It's, like, intentionally hard to follow because the point is that this country has been fighting so many people yeah. that they've, like, lost track. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, they invaded this place. It's like, I thought that place was under this territory. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, it's the, the reasons themselves are so, like... Um, malleable and not like a solid reason. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 reasoning is is very fluid and always kind of changing and hard to pin down. Yeah. When you talk yeah. about things like territory and who's in line for a throne, and uh, when you throw in like religious zealousy, like mm-hmm. it's 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 not as cut and dry, and um, it's not as like you can't back it up the mm-hmm. way that the government 
would like to pretend. Yeah, and the hold patriotism has on its people. Yeah. Like, mm. Polly has basically spent the entire book criticizing her country, but then when someone else criticizes it to her, she gets angry. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. Far, it, it might suck what it's mine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of stuff I think there about about patriotism and the idea of loving your country. Well, what's what's about it to love, you mm-hmm. know? But at at the end, yeah, there is there's still something about that that yeah. Any other thoughts about war about the way war is portrayed here? I think the way the war is portrayed in here is very different to a lot of the media that I think I've consumed about war, where it's very one-sided, patriotic. We're the good guys; they're the bad guys. There might be like a small revelation about, oh, we're all human, but then that quickly <laughs> patches up, and it's still like your big flag in the background at the end of the movie or something. Yeah, but here, yeah. like that Iwo Jima moment on the yeah. camera. Yeah, yeah. I like that in this book. It was all of these people being told, oh yeah, no, we're winning. We're going to win this war and you lads are going to be heroes for it. And we got to go get these guys because they're different from us. And then it's everybody on the other side being like, okay, so they've decided not to work with us again. Mm-hmm. And we have, it's like, they very clearly are exhausted and do not want to do this. Mm-hmm. So I think it was, I think it was interesting to see like the ferocity mm-hmm. of one side and then the very, uninterested side of uh, the other side of the war. And also the point that not all good guys are good. Like, Mm. they stumble upon the coal burners in the forest. And they initially think the other side's come in and killed these people. Mm. But they find out it was deserters from their own regiment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The whole uh, the black and white of war where the good guys are the bad guys is actually so much more more Mm -hmm. complicated. Yeah. And also that shock of, like, you hear about, like, um, war heroes and like glory on the battlefield and they get there and it's like eating shit food, sleeping in bad like conditions yeah, and yeah. really just like more scraping by and it's not as organized or as thought out and it's more like isolating than when you think of like joining a war, especially for your country, you think of it as like this big um, like unifying thing but really it's like you are in actuality practically you are eight people walking through the woods together yeah. right yeah. like that is all you have right now and maybe somewhere along the line you can later on tell a story that fits you into a larger narrative mm-hmm. but in the moment you are very isolated and on your own in a way that you don't think of when you think of joining the army for your country yeah, right yeah, you think of something bigger. and also yeah. like how some people are very attracted to that like jack room was essentially addicted to it uh, yeah, yeah where it was just they were what like 60 70 odd years old yeah and nobody just, knows how old jack yeah. is because yeah. they keep we taking birth they certificates said, they had been a soldier for 40 years yeah, yeah. joined up when they were like 18 yeah maybe, yeah Something like that. Gotcha. But okay, think... so that makes Jackram my age, and I was picturing Jackram as much older than that. <laughs> but I think the point is Jackram doesn't know yeah, themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, well, it's a, it's a good time to break into, I guess, the three big themes that I kind of wanted to hit on were gender, religion, and war, which mm-hmm. I think are, you know, three of the big big themes of the novel. Mm-hmm. But I'd also just like to know what are some of the things you guys would like to talk about or, or bring uh, out from okay. it. Oh, oh, right. go, well, you okay. go okay. So what I thought was really interesting was how little... Paul mattered to the story. Oh, the yeah. Brother yeah. that Polly goes to find. Like, it's not given even that much pause or notice at the beginning of the book when it's explaining why she, um, like, enlists. And then at the end, like, if you blinked, you would miss that she found Paul at yeah, the end of the yeah. novel. Like, it is so inconsequential that he is 
technically the driving force and the catalyst for this whole novel from the perspective we see it from and yet he like barely matters at all and is almost nowhere in the text yeah like i don't know if we actually get any dialogue from i don't him. know if he ever no. says anything no. No. we just get we see him in flashbacks and we, we see him when she finds him in the keep yep and then in like the flash forward the epilogue mm-hmm. yeah. but he doesn't have like any moment or presence at all and i yeah. want to know did you guys notice that what did you think of that yeah i mean it was at the end it was essentially like his Paul's character was his presence. It, it yeah. was very simple. He liked to paint birds. I think that's what yeah. he liked to. He either liked to paint and he liked birds, or he liked books. He liked <laughs> birds, and loving them so much made him like almost a virtuoso at painting them. Yeah. yeah, and it was just like that. That's all we know about him in the beginning, and then that's all we see him for going into the yeah. end. And, and, was... and Polly's motivation is essentially she wants him alive. I mean, she likes him, she cares about him, yeah. but also. She it's, can't, it's like a selfish, selfish yeah she can't kind, inherit yeah. the inn because she's a girl and that's yeah. an abomination and she knows paul can't run the inn on his own yeah. so she dreams that she'll get him back and they'll run it together and ultimately what happens is she gets yeah. him back and paul and shufti are going to run it together mm-hmm. and polly's polly to me is very much like frodo at the end of lord of the rings yeah where you know i saved the shire but i couldn't save it for me like she saved yeah. the inn but then she's realized the inn is too small a world for her for what she wants yeah i will say this about paul her relationship with her brother defines most of her views on the world Mm. like she lost her faith in their religion because of how her mother treated her brother Mm. when he was painting the birds Mm. because a living picture is a abomination (laughs) yeah so she burns it in the fireplace Mm. and that sort of yeah that's that really does shape her yeah Mm. Now you had some when I said what what else does somebody else want uh, to talk about? I really love it's like an ongoing theme in the Discworld, the role of belief on the disc. Mm. Because Discworld is very much a world that doesn't conform to like rules of science. Belief is basically belief makes things real. Mm. So they mentioned later in the book that I think in one of those little Vime scenes that Nuggin, their god Nuggin is basically dead mm. and all that's left is like the echoes of mm-hmm. his voice. Yeah. So in the Discworld, gods are only gods if enough people believe in them. Mm-hmm. So this whole country that is outwardly very like uber religious, no one actually believes in that god yeah, anymore. Because they accidentally mm-hmm. made the Duchess their god because they yeah. because their their god was such a mean god that they were too afraid to actually talk to him. Yeah. So they talked to the like um mortal representation of him who then becomes an immortal like deity on yeah. her, her own, which I think is, it was really cool. Was That's interesting. Good. I think you need the larger context of knowing more about the disc. Yeah, yeah, I thought, to appreciate honestly, that. even though I knew this was a standalone novel, I thought it would be more discish. Like I thought it would give us some, because when you talk about Discworld, there's like a whole physics unto itself. Yeah. And it's like, if I read this, and I didn't know that I would not have any. You would assume it was on around. I, yeah. I would assume yeah. it was on around world, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, most of like the Discworld physics comes into play, and I think in the I'd say the wizard books mm-hmm. because they it's definitely are, in the color of magic. Yeah, they're very much first. like wizards are basically the scientists of the disc, mm-hmm. except for like one guy who's Leonard de Quirm, who's basically Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he's fantastic. I love. He's a great character. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes. So most of Terry's standalone books they don't outwardly present as being a Discworld book. Mm-hmm. Like, they're mostly self-contained stories that take place on a disc or in, sorry, on the disc or in, like, certain specific little parts of the disc. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's why this makes it really accessible because then you don't need to wrap your mind around. around yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I find when I was describing Discworld to people, a lot of the sticking point was, like, it's a disc and a turtle <laughs> that's sanding, like, it's a disc 
on the backs of four elephants standing on a turtle that's flying through space. And it was like, that's really weird. But it really doesn't matter that much. <laughs> no, it's not. No. I think that's the thing that I wanted to, I wanted to talk about was how casual stuff like that is in these books yeah. and doesn't take away from it. Like going from, going from Dracula being like, Ooh, there's this one really spooky guy with something that we don't really know about. And that is, that is the point to the T of this. And we need to figure it out. We need to stamp it out. Mm. Or even Lord of the Rings where it's like, yeah, these things exist, but from the perspective of the hobbits, it's like, Oh, you know, wizards, they might exist and they may know a firework or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but here it's like, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Uh, there's zombies in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, go get them. And that's that's what I like about both Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett and that style of writing is that it's it's casual storytelling, like incidental mm-hmm. storytelling, whereas like some like fantasy or sci-fi books would have a more hit you over the head. Here's me explaining the world. Yeah. And here's yeah, yeah. what these things are. But this is just like you'll pick it up. Yeah. Like if we talk about it enough. It seems yeah. normal, and you will go with it, and it makes it feel like a more real world than having to stop and explain mm-hmm. things. Yeah. yeah, I know he did have like complaints about that, so he wrote four science novels, <laughs> which are both fictional, and, like about the science of the world, and also take place partly in our world, uh-huh. and that's where like the wizards really come into play. Yeah. So it's really interesting because like they go through time and space, Ooh. and you get like comparisons between how the Earth works and how this world works and how they intersect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even just like blending it so that vampires and igors and trolls all make sense because they all have their little part to play mm-hmm. in that little thing um like igorina coming from that like sect of others that makes sense in a war-torn country they're the surgeons or yeah. uh, the vampire who abstains and drinks coffee like <laughs> and has the little temperance badge of yes. like do- doesn't yeah. drink human blood so, so that cute. other you know people are yeah. safe around yeah. like i think there's definitely sometimes when it comes to fantasy or sci-fi or whatever there's always the criticism of if you're going to make up your own world why are you making it sexist like why are you why why are you writing racism into your fantasy world or whatever but i think at least in this novel it's so overtly critical of those things yeah well it's satire it's satire so it yeah it it it's a good book. It's taking it's all the things book. that we know are ridiculous in our world and making them more ridiculous yeah. Yeah. to make them, you know, laughable yeah. And, yeah. and also critiquable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that really comes from Terry Pratchett's background because before he started writing the books, he was a journalist for like twenty years and mm-hmm. he wrote all like everything, all the sections in the newspaper from like multiple perspectives, multiple countries. Yeah, and it just that like seeing the best and the worst of humanity gives you like a real good perspective mm-hmm. on how laughable some of our <laughs> ideas are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh we're gonna need to wrap up soon and I'm gonna ask everyone for like a sort of last word or last thing. And I know you have all these great little tabs in your book. I wish we had time to talk about everything you had marked. I know when I was listening to the audiobook, um there were th- I was like, oh if I had a paper copy, this is something I'd like to mark mm-hmm. or, or whatever, because there's some great quotes, some great lines. But the thing that stays with me and the thing that will stay with me longest, and I cannot remember the exact words because I don't have the, the book in front of me, but Polly's reaction when she she starts to realize that the other soldiers are girls as well. And she realizes, I've been thinking it's all about me and seeing this the way we all see our own lives from my own perspective. But actually, each one of these people is like me, a girl in disguise, which is the step into realizing, oh, actually, each one of these people has their own story, their own problems, their own, you know, which to me is the biggest realization of life, Mm -hmm. that other people are real, as it turns out, and everybody's got their own complex backstory. And I think the moment when Polly grasps that is a great moment that, that re- that's one that really stands out to me. Mm-hmm. So 
everybody else, give me kind of a final thought or a thing that stands out to you with this book or a takeaway from it. I think something that stood out to me was how through all of the all of the years of these women portraying themselves as men to get into these high states of power in the military, Jackram was the one that like kept going back and bringing others forward mm. and was the, okay, I'm going to give you a pair of socks because I know you're a girl, <laughs> so you can try to get to that point or just get what you need done. I think that Jackram being as, uh, as gun-ho about helping the process along, but then also criticizing those at the top at the end was mm -hmm. very nice. And Jackram's such a great character. I oh, love Jackram. Yeah. Great, great character. Yeah. Yeah. Emma Cole. I agree. I think the themes of individualism versus like thinking of yourself as part of a, a collective or a whole are really, really interesting, both from like patriotism gender like even um like the ideas of violence in war like all these kinds of things do intersect for me with the idea of widening your perspective to see things from a whole versus an individual and also kind of the reverse of that when yeah. you're talking about like patriotism versus actual soldiers who are basically children like fighting mm -hmm. on the front lines i don't know what there is to say about that but i think there's a lot in the novel that that speaks yeah, for itself there is mm -hmm. and emma pappas Final thoughts uh, from the girl with all the, the tabs in the book. I was flipping through trying to find one that I really liked. And I guess there's one at the end that sort of summarizes. Summarizes, like, basically Polly's journey. Mm -hmm. And also the state of her country as a whole. So mm -hmm. I think I'm just going to read that. Yeah. Great. The Duchess was smaller than she'd thought. But if you had to protect it by standing in the door with the sword, you were too late. Caring for small things had to start with caring for big things. And maybe the world wasn't big enough. Mm. Mm. That oh that's great good. love that and that is a great concluding thought i think mm -hmm. thank you guys so much for doing this this thank is so you. fun it's been great and that wraps up this month's episode of shelf esteem many thanks to emma cole emma pappas and miles bradley for being my guests and joining me for this conversation about terry pratchett's monstrous regiment which definitely did inspire me to read more Pratchett. If you have recommendations for what I should read next, uh, shoot me an email and let me know. Uh, if you go to my website, trudymorgancole.com, you can find out a lot more information, including how to email me if you want to. It'll also uh, give you a link. If you follow the podcast link, you can go to the show notes for this and every other episode where I normally list any other books that we discussed or anything else uh, of interest that came up as links in the episode. This is going to be the last episode of the podcast for 2023. As many of you know, my own new book, a Company of Rogues is just out, has just come out this month, and uh, you can find out more about that on my website as well. But there's a lot of things for an author to do in the months right after a new book comes out. It can be a busy time with readings and signings and promotion and just generally trying to get the word out there about the book. So I'm going to take a little break until the end of the year. I'm going to be back in 2024 with new episodes, some more book swaps, maybe some new formats and new guests, of course. And I hope that until then, you will continue to read a good book and build your shelf esteem. Thank you.